0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Purpose Podcast. I'm Alex, the founder of 195. for a London-based startup that designs eco-conscious and unisex travel goods. We launched The Purpose Podcast so you can get to know the people, stories, and challenges behind some of the most exciting brands that have a purpose at the heart of their business. If you've got aspirations or plans to launch your own business and make a positive impact, then you're in the right place for insights and advice today's guest is Vince Dixon, co-founder of Hulu. Founded in early 2020 alongside his girlfriend Megan, they've created an awesome product that comes everywhere I go, the collapsible coffee cup. By now, we all know the problems of the single-use takeaway coffee cup, but I want to dig a bit deeper than that. I want to hear more about Vince and Megan's passion to launch Hulu, how they balance the demands of working in the fashion industry alongside a startup, the secrets to running their hugely successful Kickstarter campaigns, and how they prioritize environmental sustainability. So with that in mind, Vince, welcome to The Purpose Podcast.
1: Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for doing this.
0: Oh good, yeah. How's things?
1: Yeah, very good. Very good. Just uh, kind of getting ready for the London winter, to be honest. It's, uh... <laughs> Every day gets a little bit darker, yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like whenever whenever I sort of see what you're up to, it looks like you're you're bouncing between many a different country or city.
1: Yeah, so we're based, actually our, our business as well is based between um, the US and the UK. So we are, we are. Nice. COVID's kind of thrown a spanner in, in really how easy it is to do it, but technically we're based between New York and London. Um, we we founded Who Knew while, while living in New York and, and sort of. Um, that's still the the main focus for us in the long term is is the U.S. market.
0: Nice. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Cool. I, I, I'm going to jump straight in there, really. So, I, you know, I mentioned about the coffee cup, um, and I want to start, you know, right at the top, really, to understand, you know, what sparked that mission to to redesign the coffee cup.
1: Yeah. Um, so i I've, I've had a few startups in the past. It's always been something I'm pretty passionate about. So I, I suppose always always in the back of my mind it's churning away things that I think could make a potentially good product. Um, mostly I have the idea and the next day I realize it's either been done or it probably wasn't a very good idea. Um, in 2018, 2019 I suppose we were living in New York myself as you mentioned Megan my girlfriend um, and and New York's a pretty kind of crazy place in terms of convenience culture it's, it's just a busy place and, and we really started to just take note of all the kind of plastic we're using, just single-use. I I suppose everything. there's a lot more in the media over the last few years in terms of single-use plastic. Um, I grew up in Cape Town in South Africa, so always been in the outdoors. I've traveled a lot. I I love the outdoors. Megan, as well, grew up in Guernsey. It's a small island um, off the the coast of the UK, for those who don't know. So so both of us kind of grew up in in nature, I suppose. so have have kind of the experience of going to places and seeing plastic and in remote places and and having been lucky enough to travel to some sort of really beautiful places on earth and realize that this the stuff is real. Like the the stories you see in the media aren't just stories, like it is everywhere. Um and then living in New York and realizing just how much we were using and and, and kind of linking the two, I suppose, over time and going, actually we're we having a really direct impact on this. Um, and it was about that time we thought, okay, we're going to start kind of trying to be more responsible ourselves with with just the amount of daily stuff we use. And everyone's done the kind of grocery shopping bag and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that living in new York and and kind of being out and about all day is just coffee cups. like it just it was crazy to me that you'd use this thing. And um sometimes I drink relatively small coffees. It would be thirty seconds and and you'd throw it in the you throw in the trash. Um, and then around that time, just doing a bit of um, deep diving, I think I think one of the things we always thought, that a lot of people still think, is that paper coffee cups are recyclable. They they they're kind of at least they're paper, they're not plastic. But we found out through this journey of ours that actually they're not. Um, they're lined with plastic, which makes sense. Paper isn't isn't waterproof, so they're lined with plastic, and that plastic ends up in landfills the same as any other plastic, and is actually a pretty huge issue. So I, the the figure we've heard is that less than one percent of Paper cups or, or kind of disposable cups actually end up being recycled. Ninety nine percent of them just get trashed, and due to that plastic lining, uh, don't get recycled and, and end up just in landfills. And, and that's the sort of pictures you see. Um, so long, long winded way of saying we, we started looking at coffee cups and try to find this kind of something we take with us. Realized pretty quickly that we just despite best intentions just didn't use them the, the kind of um reusable cups that we we, we had um because often you would grab a coffee on the go or you're out and about anyway so, so it's something you had to like make a plan or have a bag that you carried this thing with um and just practically we never did that so the idea came about is like surely there's something that like that we could just put in our pocket and carry around and coming from sort of the outdoor yep world and knowing that camping and hiking is very much about minimalism and kind of weight and and getting things down as small as possible i thought why isn't there something in the sort of coffee market and the reusable cup market um really couldn't find anything and that that was where the sort of product idea came. i thought we definitely need this that this is a product that uh that i think other people would like as well and um and so the idea went from well we just need this product actually there's a real business potential here um and, and I, th- I think it just, it hit a lot of the right aspects. It was an exciting product. Uh, it was something that was pretty new and it, it allowed us to combine the sort of um, love for the outdoors and something more environmentally based and have it actually, as you says, this is all about to have a, have a kind of purpose behind it where you just weren't sort of flogging the, the cheapest, nastiest thing. You were actually doing something that had some sort of meaning and could cre- create some sort of change, so.
0: No, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think. If I put, you know, think about my own experience and and others that we speak to, that a lot of these uh, these startups right now, you know, we start from a kind of a passion and experience. Yeah. But what, what's your what's your actual sort of background or working experience? I'm guessing not product designers.
1: No, I mean, I've I've spent most of my life trying to avoid getting a job. I think that's <laughs> the best way to sum it up. So I, I left I left university in or finished university in in South Africa in Cape Town. I actually studied finance of all things. Um. Saw a lot of friends go into the kind of accountancy and finance worlds. Uh, I one very quick look at it, and I realized it was not something I could do. Um, started a startup with a friend, actually based in the UK. Um, we were very young and naive, uh, but, but grew a kind of decent little business out of that. It was, it was a travel agency. We started off actually running um, a kind of adventure tours for, for, like, for gap year students in, in, in Africa. So we get okay. UK-based kind of students we take them out to Africa and we run these tours had an amazing few years kind of pivoted that into a bit of a travel agency and eventually it got to the point where we realized that we were spending more time on spreadsheets and sitting in an office in London than we were in Africa on the road which is kind of why we started it in the first place um so we we got out of that um it, it, it did okay it kind of provided some money but it wasn't anything special kind of sold off what we had of that um and about that time looking for my next project, I completely randomly kind of got stopped by a photographer in the street and and said, Well, um, have you ever tried uh, modeling? So that's kind of I thought that's a bit weird. <laughs> but I had friends who'd done it and the money was good and and the immediate kind of after speaking to some people are like, well you get to travel a lot and and at that time I was sort of wasn't really sure what I was going to do. So I, I I signed up to a modeling agency and I kind of Actually had a, had a pretty good start at it, and and that was a sort of f- over ten years ago, and that became a full time career that took me all over the world. I've lived in, in places I never thought I would have, in Turkey, and Greece, and to all over Europe, and um, South America, and ended up in New York, which uh, and never thought I'd live there, but ended up there for some work and just stayed. That was about two thousand thirteen. Um, all the while thinking I'm, I'm going to do another startup at some stage um, and dabbled with some stuff over the years, have have kind of started a media business with some friends in the UK that they still run. But I, nothing really hit in terms of modeling a very good income and allows you a lot of freedom and flexibility. So the, I, I really was quite kind of adamant that the next thing I did would be something I really could get passionate about. It wasn't just about starting a business um, because I had this thing that provided me income why give that up for something that just provides income, but I don't actually necessarily enjoy doing. Um, and th- that's why who knew as the kind of the, the whole, as I say, a lot of factors came to be- together and, and it just made so much sense to
0: us. Nice. Nice. And I'm always intrigued because I'm guessing you're a very busy man between the different sort of like work commitments as well as, as as being in different locations. So how do you actually balance the the different requirements
1: so so obviously we we launched we we did about a year of product development which we can talk more about um uh before we actually launched and we went live in in february 2020 with our first crowdfunding campaign um we launched literally we i think the campaign ended the 5th of march and it was sort of that week that all the news came out and it was like oh covid's a real thing and this could be here to stay it was sort of no one was too sure but it was suddenly wasn't just some foreign thing that was happening um so really in terms of being busy and balancing work commitments I, there was nothing happening for the rest of the year so so in some way it was it was kind of a benefit because we were full-time in lockdown and just working on the business from sort of day one after launch um and and it's, really it's been a f- the, the, the who knew has been full-time since then um Things have slowly come back, and there's been a bit more travel, but but that's the focus for sure.
0: Nice. Although I did, if I'm correct, did I see last week that you were on the front cover of Men's Health in South Africa? Is that right?
1: Yeah, we, that was actually during lockdown. There, there was when everyone was jumping on the sort of um, stories at home kind of vibe because no one could shoot anything or no one. So they they asked us to do a, a, a kind of story just about being kind of stuck at home, and obviously we managed to get, get Hunu in there as well, which was, <laughs>
0: nice. Very well yeah. you you're looking good mate <laughs> um listen, you you touched on this, and this is a, I think something else that really interests me, so I think so often we will we'll see a product online that we like or we'll we'll pick up a product off a shelf in the shop and and, and you know we never really consider the story behind this product and and how it got to be there yeah and and you you sort of mentioned then and i read on I read on I think on your website or on Kickstarter, maybe too but um Essentially, it took you over a year to go from this idea, from your experience, through to a product that was sellable on Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, So I'm I'm keen to understand, I guess, in two parts. One, what that process looks like, how you go from an idea to to something that you're holding in your hand. Yeah. Uh, But then ultimately, as well, in taking such a long time, over a year, was there was there a particular reason for doing that? Were you were you sort of prioritizing environmental sustainability to get it perfect from the outset? I'm keen to sort of Know, hear more about about that.
1: No, it's, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, I, I think I think um, we could have got the product out a lot quicker. I mean, I, ultimately, our, our product's a drinking cup. It's not it's not sort of complex electronics. It's it, it's a fairly simple product. But what, what what blew me away, and and I'm I'm sure you've had the same experience, is is uh, how complex or how long designing and manufacturing can take, even for simple things. Um, I, I sort of you have this idea of all this stuff's just made and it's easy and a machine does it, but actually all, all of that stuff and especially I think I think I've through this journey I've also learned to appreciate well-made products because you kind of ah with those tiny details with design and just when things work well and they fit together well you realize how much time and effort that takes. Um, the reason it took us a year I think is 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 really day one we just had the idea and then we we're like well is this a business is this a business should we do it and it was just sitting at our kitchen table. I mean, we literally bought kind of everything we could find that was vaguely similar and cut it up and sort of stuck it together and tested things and thought, what? how could this work? And then when we decided we had something, I mean, that took a few months, so it's very kind of part-time playing with it. And then when we had, we sort of decided we had something, then it was like, well, we need someone who knows what they're doing, who knows product design. And that that's when we went to um, Marama, who's who's our mutual link, um, incredible design agency in London, and and kind of Present them with our idea, and then the process with them took several more months just to get the kind of concept and and be comfortable with what we were doing, um, and then from there, obviously, the prototyping and working with a factory, and there's there's all these steps that you don't consider when you like think well, a product is just easy to get made; you just get someone to make it. But it's 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 a much more time consuming chain than than you appreciate at the beginning. Um, your question with regards to sustainability. For sure, it's, it's been it's been at the forefront of things since the beginning. Um, I have a, I have a kind of a slightly different take on it. I, I think a lot of products now, um, or over the last few years, have been riding quite heavily on the sort of "buy this product, save the world" tag. Um, so we've been very careful since the beginning to to try and not claim that um, we are still a product. We still manufacture. There's still an impact. I mean, ultimately, the best thing to do would be to not produce anything new. Um, I think the way we see the sustainability side is is the the, the brand and the culture and, and what we build behind it. We absolutely think our product in the long term. If you buy a Huel cup and you use it instead of single use cups, it'll pay for itself pretty quickly. Yeah. So absolutely, we stand behind that. But I think I think the there's a dangerous line there, in my opinion, of of kind of overly claiming how much good you're doing by selling someone this product. But what I really do believe is that is that a product like ours, and it was for us as well. This is literally our story. is, is kind of a gateway drug. It's it's the thing you buy, and through that you realize that oh, it's so it's actually pretty easy to take your own cup, and and then you're like oh, I do all these other things in my daily life that maybe there's easy solutions for that, and that kind of builds out and builds out to the point where you're just much more aware of the impact you have. And and that's kind of our long term is to build a, a much bigger brand around that kind of awareness and 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 rather than just the product being a sort of band aid on it.
0: Get it? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I like what you say there. So I think we try to do something similar. So I mean, we we use the term eco conscious, which you know to, to everyone that might mean different things, but we, we use that in the sense that we're not trying to say that we're perfect. We're not saying that you know we're going to save the world, but. Hopefully, people can see that we're trying to be mindful. We're trying to be conscious. We're trying to make a positive impact. Um, And I think from what you're saying, you're exactly the same.
1: Yeah, I I think just just being, I think being a lot, as you say, being a lot more upfront about it, and when like and saying not not trying to overclaim it. I also think I I have a belief. I might be wrong that there are a lot of brands that are going to get caught out in the near future where it's just going to, I mean, it happened, it happened during COVID, didn't it? Where it wasn't so much on the sustainability side, but it suddenly all these stories came out about kind of um, the work culture and certain things, and obviously the inclusivity and that, there was that kind of whole thing. But a lot of companies the kind of veil was lifted back and and actually their marketing spin was very different to what they were preaching. And and what we were obviously very small still and, and we're growing, but I think what, we're very diligent on is trying to be very authentic with who we are, what we're about and what we're claiming. So not overly claiming what we can and can't do. And also just trying to be as true as possible. Like, look, we are trying to have some positive impacts. And I think the bigger we grow as a company, that'll give us more resources to do that. I really do believe that business can be a real force for good. I think business is also the major force for bad. Um, but o- over time, if, if we kind of, keep on that road and grow and grow and grow, we can have a, a lot more positive impact and, and hopefully give back more than we kind of take out. And that, that, that would be our, our goal. Um, and, and hopefully that builds a really good business as well, that people kind of stand by you because they, they believe in what you're doing and you, you aren't, you aren't kind of just um, bullshitting them to sell a product.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like it. If You're right I? I think there's, when, when you're in this world, there's always this risk that you, you kind of fear, can, can we be a, a business that makes profit and have a purpose yeah and I, and I think there are now really good businesses really good startups that are proving that can be possible yeah um and, and in particular i think one thing i've noticed with yourself recently is that you are maybe you're fronting the business a lot more i've seen on sort of linkedin and a bit more on instagram as well so you're you're showing more of your face and talking directly to followers and things so i'm, I'm sort of keen to hear what what what, what, what is that.
1: yeah no it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting one i mean being literally my job for the last 10 years was being in front of cameras and you think it wouldn't be such a big thing but when you're actually trying to be sort of I think weirdly the hardest and thing is actually just being genuinely open about what you're doing and there's always the fear especially as a small business that you you don't want people to realize what what, like that, that all your sort of um inadequacies or how small you necessarily are you want everyone to think you're sort of a massive team in a massive office and everything's great. But I, but really, I, I I, think there's strength in people supporting you from the beginning. I mean, we launched on crowdfunding, so people quite literally supported us from day one. So what we're trying to do more of, and, and it's been a goal since the beginning, it's really just a time and, and, and kind of a resource thing, is putting ourselves as founders at the forefront, as you mentioned, and just trying to be honest about our story. Um, particularly as we talked about before this call, we're currently in like a major supply chain thing. The whole world is, um, and it's affecting what we're able to deliver. And and some people are are gonna have delays on getting their product. And rather than trying to sugarcoat that, if we're able to kind of build up trust over time and build a real community around our brand, then when we do come with that news, they hopefully believe us that we're doing everything we can and kind of there's there's a bit of a two-way thing there. so I, I think, yeah, it, it's it's something we're working on. I, I think it, it's an ongoing thing and a lot of it is just being confident enough to kind of be ourselves. And and it goes back to what we said before was it, as long as we're confident that we're not bullshitting and we're not trying to pretend to be something we're not, then there shouldn't be an issue. We can just speak about what we're doing and, and people will hopefully be be supportive.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we're the same. I think we tend to find that honesty is the best policy, right? Whether it's the fact that Last Christmas, we were we were panicking that our product was basically stuck in Felixdale port. And yeah. <laughs> rather than just going quiet to customers, we we kind of just absolutely fronted it. We were like, "Here's an email. This is the situation. We're yeah. doing everything we can," and that resonated far better, I think, than just saying nothing or, or like you say, bullshit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I, it's the truth. Is is it's easier to bullshit? It's just easier to say it's all good. We'll get it done soon. Just but. But it always catches up with you at some stage, and I think, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's thinking long term about it and how, what sort of brand you're building and what sort of community your kind of core group from the beginning is uh, is really going to shape that. In in my opinion, and I think if, if you can build that culture early on, it can pay pay off really well in the long term.
0: Agreed. I'm I'm actually glad you you mentioned the word community as well, like, because the one thing that if I was you, I would feel really really daunted about going into the coffee industry because like. This is its own culture. It's got its own rituals. Yeah. Like, it, it terrifies me, the thought of it. So, like, how have you merged your way into that world and, and been sort of, like, so welcomely received by, particularly on, like, Kickstarter, but just in general? Like, you know, how do you get these kind of almost fanatics, on, like, coffee fanatics on your side?
1: Yeah, no, it, it is, it's, a whole, it's a whole world for sure. I mean, the, the truth is we've we've tried to play very much with what we know. So we're not trying to be a a sort of coffee brand. Um, And in in fact, even though our our original kind of inspiration for the cup and the the design was coffee cups, it was, it was replacing kind of disposable cups. Really the truth is that, and and it might've been a sort of function of COVID accelerated this a bit because the coffee shops were closed and people were using the cups for other things, but we find a a lot of people using them for camping and hiking and uh, dog walking. And um, we, we have, have a, really growing community of of um young mothers with kids who are kind of uh, pushing prams and don't have many hands and need things that fit in and all so th- there's this there's all these um there's all these kind of use cases for our cup that's beyond coffee um so I, I think I think sort of to answer your question we 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 aren't trying to be a coffee brand. so we're kind of doing what we can and we really there's as you say, there's a huge culture and we respect it. we're kind of learning what we can and we a lot of our customers are. Retail customers are coffee shops at this stage, but we're definitely not trying to kind of play in the coffee market in a way that we're claiming to be experts in it. Um, I think the the long term, I can see it it being a very functional cup way beyond just coffee.
0: Yeah, I I actually I went to um, London Coffee Festival a couple of years ago with my with my girlfriend, and uh, yeah, it was an eye opener. Like the 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 the, the passion in this room was incredible for coffee. (laughs)
1: I think I think London, it must be one of the centers in the world. I know, I mean, Australia is, is crazy. I remember going to Australia for the first time and the coffee in the airport was better than any coffee I'd have anywhere in the world. <laughs> um, and, then, and then, obviously, we're based on, on New York and in, in Brooklyn and that's a that's a massive kind of, uh, that's as sort of big as the hipster coffee culture gets as well. So this, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, it's taken over the world.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's an essential. Um, so. I'm keen to it. So obviously you mentioned that, you know, you don't just want to be known as a coffee cup or, or, or within one industry. Um, and I know that you have a second product on the way, which is the larger version of your original cup, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so what next, what, where, where do you sort of see yourself taking things <laughs> with who knew?
1: Um, so the, yeah, so we, we, launched kind of V1, which was a eight ounce, 230, 260 ml kind of cup. Um, that was, it, it's a relatively small cup by many people's standards, because we went after to the coffee market originally, uh, the, the thinking with that was it's a very compact size, can fold down really small, and it can take any sort of uh, what we call a barista standard coffee and a sort of an espresso drink, a latte or a, um, or a flat white or anything like that. Um, we pretty quickly realized that in America, particularly, people like their coffees a lot bigger. So there was demand for a larger size. And we realized also that people using the cups for much more than coffee. And then that larger sizes were kind of in demand. Um, so that gave, us a, that gave us a sort of ability to redesign the product a bit and to bring on customer feedback. So we, we kind of spent quite a bit of time speaking to people and asking them and looking at the kind of reviews and suggestions. Um, and used a lot of that to redesign the, the product and to bring out a larger range of sizes. So, so from just an 8-ounce cup, we now have four sizes that go up to 20-ounce. Which is quite large, and we see that as kind of a iced coffee smoothie, really. And it's, it's a pint size, so it could be a beer, um, <laughs> so whatever, whatever, you want. Um, we are we have just released that product. We're actually we still have yet to fulfill our, all our, our crowdfunding um, orders from that. So and and again, talking about the supply chain, the supply chain kind of issues have knocked us back. So really, with regards to your question about. Um, where we see things going our focus really is on building out this range of cups now um i I think ultimately we can see uh the 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 two areas we focus on so let me sort of sidetrack a bit the two areas we focus on as a brand in terms of the way we design things are number one the kind of convenience and functionality so really the use case for us was we needed something that that didn't exist and we wanted to remove as much friction as possible in terms of using reusables so designing something that's compact, convenient, well-designed, can you can carry around with you. And then secondly, bringing in the kind of more fashionable element. So really focusing on the visual style and the color ranges and kind of the how it looks and how we present it as a brand. And I think in our thinking, one of the major things aside from the convenience factor that holds people back from reusables is that in many places, they just aren't a very fashionable thing yet. And I think actually Europe and, and London in particular is quite far ahead of this because it, I think they have kind of hit that tipping point in many ways. The US is still a little bit behind. Um, so I, I think long-term building out is, is really kind of using those two pillars as guidelines, is that we want to build a brand around products that are not only incredibly functional and, and well-designed and useful, but also that kind of fits into that more fashionable stylish element where you're kind of quite proud to use it. And there's a lifestyle element to it. So I think that in the short term, that is probably more collapsible type products, kind of silicone based, the same as what we're playing in. But long term, it potentially opens us up to a whole wider range of products that are not necessarily just kind of drinking or eating. Um, so so we'll see where it goes. It's, it's still quite early days and we have a lot of room for with, the, with the cup still. So we'll, we'll see what happens, I think
0: really cool i I love the second fundamental there because I think you're right there is there's still work to do where the I don't know people almost think you're like some some hippie in the field yeah if if, yeah. You, if you are to promote reusables or you know you give a shit yeah. um and, and i think there's there's definitely a i don't know if it's a taboo but there's definitely a, a misconception that still needs to be challenged there
1: yeah and and it's, it's i mean you can see it happening in certain places as its it's, it's another other places still very far behind um but i i think some some brands are slowly doing it i mean what what swell water bottles did change things a lot and a lot of people use them as their sort of base in the space where they took a pretty functional product and turned it into a kind of lifestyle sort of uh accessory i suppose or something you kind of it was cool to be seen with it and that flip is huge if you, if you can you can turn something from being something that you you want to use because it's sort of sustainable or it's useful to something that you want to use because everyone else is using it and you look cool using it like we're pretty simple creatures at the base humans and the number one thing that drives a lot of us is just what we look like and how we represent ourselves um and I think in the in the kind of reusable more sustainable space I suppose a lot of a lot of it is based still on that kind of as you've mentioned the sort of crunchy hippie image whereas Flipping that into something more fashionable, I think there's huge power in that potentially.
0: Yeah, we we see similar things as well on, on our side in in the world of textile So yeah, but at the moment, I'm I'm sort of looking on with admiration at um, people like Lululemon. Yeah, uh, Adidas, who are, are sort of partnering in a kind of a consortium uh, around sort of like bio leathers. Yeah, right, which is yeah. leathers derived from essentially mushrooms or fungus. Um, but yeah, I think like you say, it's it's not far away from the tipping point, but not quite there yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a desire for it, but it still has to hit sort of mainstream culture in that, in that same way where it, it's sort of, yeah. you don't want the sort of forward thinkers or the people who are aware of it. You want the sort of people who don't really care what the functionality or the, what the footprint is, but they want it because everyone else has it. And when you've had that, then you can kind of, then the, the, the positive aspects are just a given. I mean, I, I think people like uh, uh, Pangaea, Obviously, I've, I've kind of nailed it in a certain way where they' they're sort of using both a highly fashionable brand and then really impressive tech and sort of playing both those fields until they get to a point where it can be all fully sustainable and, and kind of um, yeah I suppose I suppose zero impact but um, th- that's really the dream is because they become a, a mainstream kind of fashion brand.
0: And I and I guess you you always know, right? When when fast fashion houses start to copy you, yeah, then you like, <laughs> yeah. the, like the booze then then you probably you know you've cracked yeah, it.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I think that's a, fast fashion is an interesting thing you bring up. I think I, I also am um aware of how small the impact of of sort of our sort of product really are on the greater scheme of things. And I think that's why I go back to that sort of gateway drug analogy of for me, buying a Hunu Cup isn't about necessarily only using less paper cups but it's about now not buying fast fashion and that's that's if you can take one person who doesn't who has a reusable cup who then just re- kind of has an awareness of some of the stuff and stops shopping in a certain way that now has a huge impact and if that can if you can add that at scale and then drive those companies to make change then that's suddenly just that's kind of exponential change um, so it's it's kind of it's not necessarily the the immediate impact of the actual products you're using. It's it's potentially the sort of buying choices and decisions you make.
0: Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, we say exactly the same in the sense that it's, in the grand scheme of things, it's a small step, but it's it's a positive step. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And we, we always champion that. We say like, you know, if, if you're kind of trying to do the right thing, albeit if it's small changes, then I think it's definitely going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, it's, it's taking that first step is 100%... It's it's a huge step compared to just living as you kind of normally were with blinkers yeah, on. Yeah. I think I think the issues are real. That's no one's debating that now. It's now what do we do about it?
0: Agreed. I'm I'm I want to ask you a question here that isn't quite as in depth or complex <laughs> as as things like fast fashion, but um, and I said, but I do suspect it's probably one of the most common questions that you're asked. Right. The name Hunu. Where did it come from? What's the inspiration?
1: um I, no, it's an excellent question so we we had a different name on day one um started looking at the, all the trademarking and all the rest of it so one of the issues as is, you are well aware is um, these days you can't just have a name you've got to make sure you can get all the trademarks and the social media handles and the website address and all that um we had a name we really liked couldn't get some of the trademarks once we started digging a bit deeper we were about to get our product into manufacturing, or to get our prototypes made and set up the machine. So we had to make a pretty quick decision on what was going to be in there. Uh, so spent a week just literally full time going through names, and it eventually uh, Megan actually came up with the idea of uh, like again going back to kind of we build this brand around awareness. I think that's one of the key words we've always said. Is just that it's like who knew how much waste you actually produce? Who knew? like a coffee cup could be so easy like so and and that idea of who knew we played with and it got kind of turned down to who knew and and um that's where it came from so so the sort of base of the word is who knew very smart and it just it, when we heard it and figured it out and saw that was available and everything it was just it was actually much better than what we originally had and and so glad we we had it yeah. can,
0: you, can you share what you originally had i'm curious to know
1: Oh, yeah, no, no, no problem. So we were originally going much more around this sort of building the brand around and, and the idea of um, of this kind of positive impact. So the name was uh, One Good. I always had this idea of like oh, nice. sort of one good thing. Of if you can just do one good thing every day, it can add up to a kind of huge impact of... If your one good thing is just using a reusable cup of your one good thing. And so that played into one good i it, it was in hindsight it's quite clunky as a brand name and, and um very glad that we were forced to change. Often at the time you don't see the benefits in some of those issues because you're kind of frantically trying to make the changes. But um yeah, it all worked out well in the end.
0: Yeah. We we went through the exact same frantic process. Yeah. <laughs> so um not not with not with the name, but with the actual logo. So the whale now that that people will see on our travel goods, it, it started out as a tortoise okay. or a turtle, depending on 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 how you see this. But uh, yeah, you, we were probably similar in that a day. I think probably yeah, the, the day before the trademark was registered, uh, it was um, there was an appeal was lodged by like a, a rather large Italian luggage. Oh, there is
1: for for the for the tortoise. Yeah.
0: Model. So. Uh, we would have argued that ours was a turtle. They were a tortoise. Um, right?
1: Yeah, probably. But,
0: but what what tends to happen, and you've probably seen the same, right? Is that when you're a small yeah. business and it comes down to like trademarks, this world it's basically who's got who's got more time, who's got more money.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just and, and you're just not worth fighting yeah. those battles. For what it's worth, I really love your logo. Oh, thank I you very much. The, appreciate it's that. It's something. It's something quite sort of friendly about the whale that I like. Oh, it's thanks so so. for that.
0: Yeah, but what I ended up doing actually, this was like, you know, when you kind of feel like you've lost the battle here, which we we inevitably did. I ended up getting the old tat- uh, the old turtle tattooed on me because so I thought actually this, it- <laughs> I thought the, the Italian luggage brand can't come after me if it's on my body. So uh, <laughs> that was like that was like my two fingers up to the brand that uh, that kicked our ass.
1: Yeah, you just gotta show them. Kind of grow more. Yeah. yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. Um, I've got one more question I want to talk to you about Hunu, and then I want to jump in to uh, ask you for a bit of advice for anybody that might be listening who is aspiring to, to you know to launch their own business. So the big question here, but you know, what is the purpose going forward for Hunu? How would you how would you describe that? How would you how would you consolidate that that sort of opinion?
1: My big passion is is brand building. And I think for me that's like culture and brand are the the biggest potential drivers for a lot of what happens in the world today um i think the, the we want to be a business that we can look back on and and really know that we built it the right way and that we we putting back a lot more than, than we're taking out I think, I think the sort of the dream brand that I, pretty much everyone references, but I've always looked up to with admiration is someone like Patagonia, where they could just come hand on heart, seem to stand by their principles and put them before the business side. But that obviously drives an incredible business. So I, I think, I think right now it's, it's the products and and obviously focusing on delivering the best products we can. But second to that, we're spending a lot of time and, and thought on, on how the, the actual brand itself and the kind of initial community we're building kind of rallies around that and what that allows us to build long term um i I would love to get to a stage where HUNU is is kind of goes beyond the products to becoming almost a a media type agency where some of these issues and some of the stuff we're learning and, and just brings on other brands and brings on other people and creates a really kind of positive space for some of this stuff i think um sustainability is a sort of hot button word right now but it goes obviously as we know much kind of bigger beyond that there's social issues and there's just kind of the way the world functions in general there's a lot of conversations that are worth having and I think there's a lot of knowledge worth sharing that we're trying to figure out ourselves and so again, long, long term is, is just build some incredible products in the short term, um, try and, and, and kind of do some good in whatever way you can. We've just won 1% for the planet. So it's our sort of first commitment to putting back some of what we're making into some really kind of good projects. And then, um, yeah, long term, turning that into a, a really powerful kind of brand that, that has a positive impact, particularly in the environmental space, but, but obviously all these other kind of ripple things. Yeah,
0: I, I, I said I wasn't going to ask any more questions about Hunu, but since you mentioned 1% for the planet, I, I can't skip by it. So I think probably one of those things that a lot of people have seen on websites now, but maybe don't know what it means, what it is. So it'd be great to get your take in terms of what the organization is and does and then obviously how you then contribute to it.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's, pretty, um, it's, it's pretty basic at the core. It's really you just commit to donate 1% of all your revenue for the year to uh, kind of pre-vetted projects. So um, whether you make a profit or not, uh, you're committing to a 1% tax on everything you make and putting those into whatever you want. Um, the, the organization is primarily environmentally based. So 1% itself really acts as a middleman where they vet nonprofits and they, obviously, we, we kind of, anyone can apply to join. So you can join 1% as an individual, you can join as a, as a, as a business. Um, That obviously allows you to use the kind of marketing material and be part of that community of 1% for the planet businesses. But what we really liked about it was that it gives us the freedom to get involved in some really grassroots um, projects and stuff we really like, um, as long as they're vetted by 1%. So we actually, the, the project we are getting involved in um, is, is in Cape Town in South Africa. They they're kind of um, take kids from the townships there, get them into the ocean. They do kind of ocean training and skills and they do lifeguard training, get them kind of, there's an employment aspect, there's an environmental aspect in terms of the ocean stuff. And they're building like a really, they have a couple of shipping containers they've kind of turned into classrooms and they're building up. Really cool. It's still very, very small. But I, I think what, what's nice about the 1% organization is we're able to go to that project. And even though they weren't a vetted member, we said we really like them. And then 1% looked at them, made sure they kind of ticked all the boxes and all the money was going to the right thing, approved them, and now we can donate to them as part of that kind of organization. So it's just, it's a very flexible way to to get involved with some kind of pre-vetted projects and and know that the money's being used in the right way. Uh, Yeah, and
0: I actually hadn't realized that you you had almost the, the flexibility or the freedom to be able to... You know, determine or, or, or preference where you want that donation to go. That's really cool.
1: Yeah, and and it's and it's flexible in terms of how much or how little you get involved. So you can send as long as you donate. As like all all one percent as the organization really does is make sure they they at the end of the year audit you and go, okay, we we can you need to prove that you've donated one percent of your revenue, and they make sure it's going to projects that that are using the money correctly. So it stops it kind of going into potentially sort of projects that maybe the money is getting misspent or or is not in the right field. And then it makes sure, um, we are donating what we say we are. Um, but outside of that, we can, we can donate to 50 projects. We can donate to one, we can focus on one and get more involved. We can, so it allows you a lot of freedom to kind of get involved. And I think particularly what we liked was was the number of really small grassroots projects that, that are kind of already signed up to them. So over time, we'll see how that grows out.
0: Cool. And it's funny, you mentioned, I often see like where you see, Smaller business saying, you know, we're donating 10% of profits this year to X charity. Well, actually, they're probably not profitable. Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah, 1% is, is as, as I say, it's it's whether you make a profit or not. So you've committed to that. I think the, the sort of original line was it's basically a, an environmental tax on your business. That's how okay. you sort of self-tax yourself and, and say it's putting towards it. So, yeah. Uh, a really good organization, yeah. If anyone if anyone uh, hasn't looked at it before, just visit their website and you can see pretty quickly the businesses that are signed up and the, the kind of nonprofits that are involved and um, yeah, really, really good organization.
0: Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to include a, a link in the show notes to that as well. Last two questions for you. on to get into the kind of the advice and, and your, your wisdom as, as a worldly guy. Um, <laughs> so you've you've run two incredibly successful Kickstarter campaigns, there's no doubt. in that. I think I saw the, the fact that you're in that, 025 percent of top campaigns that have ever been run on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. I think I say a lot of people probably look at Kickstarter and think that is the way they want to go to to bring a product or you know bring a product to life. Um, so looking back now on two campaigns, what, what's the top tips if uh, if somebody's listening to this and they 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 think that's the right the right option for them?
1: Yeah, I get, I get this is probably my number one question is Kickstarter advice. Um, I'm going to caveat that by saying um this is only our experience in Kickstarter and and there's a huge range of products and kind of things that can happen on there. Um, we, we looked we looked at a number of ways of launching day one. Kickstarter was one of sort of several options. And uh, I think some people gave us the advice that actually if you launch a Kickstarter, you become kind of a Kickstarter product and it can, there's a, there are some gimmicky stuff on there and there's people who sort of um, maybe don't deliver the right quality. Um, but we saw it as a way of building out a really quick community with relatively low resources. We we came in this just obviously as a couple with kind of fairly low budget to go on a big media spend and try and launch our product is relatively hard. Whereas something like Kickstarter, if you do do it right, I mean, we ended up in 30 days, we had 7,000 people buy our product. We had media stories. We had, it, it went out to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in emails and all that. And, and, um, just ads and Kickstarter newsletters and things like that. So to get that sort of exposure as a new business and a new product is is incredible um, and in the first sort of 30 days. Saying that, I would say if anyone um, is considering something like crowdfunding, definitely have, have a look at it. Um, it. It's definitely worth it. However, there are certain products that work well for it and certain products that don't. Um, we were lucky enough that our product is a perfect Kickstarter product. It's it's, it's in the right price range. It's relatively easy to understand. It's innovative and something new that people hadn't seen before. So it, it ticked a lot of boxes that made it a good kind of fit for Kickstarter. Really, it all boils down to having a very solid launch. And I think this was the number one piece of advice we got before is, if you can get a lot of traction at the beginning, then Kickstarter itself as a platform picks you up and media picks you up and all this stuff happens and it kind of snowball it. And we, we we managed to get some very good social kind of interaction leading up to the launch. And we we're lucky enough to have some kind of friends with some quite big influence in that field. So um, so we have very good traction day one, and that set us up for the rest of the project. Um, for people who don't necessarily have the social reach or anything email newsletters, building up a community beforehand, something like podcasts, like what you're doing here. I think anyone can start this sort of stuff. And just being aware that when you start a Kickstarter campaign, start it a year before you launch. Give yourself a lot of time, because if you just pack it together the day before and you stick it up there, you're very unlikely to get everyone, to, anyone to notice it. Um, so really building that community beforehand is, is huge. And then that community is what's going to pull you through. When you have shipping delays, when you have issues, if you've been communicating with them, if you've been honest with them, if you deliver a good product, ultimately, that community is going to be the foundation of the product or brand you build afterwards. And they're going to be the ones that kind of back you up. To this day, we have sometimes someone will comment something about, they'll leave a bad review or something. And I will see someone who was a Kickstarter back Defend Us on whether it's Amazon or something. and And that is amazing. You oh, can't... Amazing. Like those are people who who I I mean it's 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 incredible to get that sort of loyalty and I think there's a very few platforms that people share your journey from day one and form a real bond. They want you to succeed and they're invested in you in the business. Um, and that that's that's been an incredible outcome from from crowdfunding that we kind of could never expected.
0: You've got you've got who new disciples and basically no yeah thing.
1: I mean and and we're, and we're very aware of it as well I think as as I've mentioned before kind of you were talking about being the front of the brand and talking more it's part of that we just want to make sure those people know how much we appreciate them and that that we want to kind of communicate with them we want this to be a, a community and not just a sort of faceless brand and I think those people are the are the real foundation of that because they've been there since day one
0: and if beyond obviously the first two kickstarters. Would you, would you continue to go back to Kickstarter to launch more products? Or do you kind of see, is, is there a sort of a point where you move away from that and, and you'd launch it, say, on your own website? I often wonder like, how you get that, that, that timeline right. Yeah,
1: oh, no, it's an interesting question. I, I think, I think um, there are a lot of brands that do it very well. Peak Design is the famous one, the kind of camera brand who, who famously launch every new thing on, on Kickstarter and have done incredibly well with it. There's a few other brands that almost, there, there's some very big businesses that run purely as Kickstarter businesses. They just once a year or twice a year, they bring out new products, stick it on Kickstarter, they build up enough of an audience. Um, I think potentially, yes, we might, but uh, we also might grow beyond that in the sense of like some of our products might not be suited for Kickstarter. It really depends what we build from here. Um, I also think we've built a decent community around what we have now. So launching on our own website and, kind of launching into the community already have is is we we almost have that platform which is quite lucky or quite fortunate now whereas at the beginning we didn't have that as much whether it's a good ongoing play uh maybe i think it can work for a business i think there's a danger then of maybe becoming a kickstarter specific brand and it kind of hampering other growth potentially and i do think you can also it can also force you to sort of be a bit clickbaity over time as you try and release more and more things that suit that kind of Kickstarter market. So yes and no is the answer to your question. I think it just depends on the product and, and what we have going forward. Cool,
0: like it. Yeah. Um, one last question for you, and, and this isn't trying to turn this podcast into a couples therapy session, but um, <laughs> I, and I ask this again from my own experience where uh, I think if myself and my girlfriend tried to run a business together, I think we'd probably kill each other. Um, yeah. So I'm really keen to get to get your perspective and your take in terms of how yourself and Megan successfully work. Like, you know, how how do you make Hunu happen as a couple? How do you split personal from the business side of things? It, like-
1: it's hard. Is, is the is the real is the real question? I mean, I'm, Megs and I were actually relatively early on our relationship when we first thought of it. So so Hoonu has been quite dominant from the beginning. Um, I also can be very um, laser focused <laughs> and I think there is there is I, I can like if I get it in a zone and I can go weeks yeah. without kind of looking up and just talking purely about Hunu I think you're okay. learning that making sure you do find space outside of that is it's definitely healthy it's not sustainable but there are periods where it's just all hands on deck and it is all that it's about so I don't know. We're still figuring it out is the answer to that. I, I think it's, it's um, it comes down to probably how solid the relationship is outside of the business would be my answer. Um, I think if there are any kind of weak points in your relationship and you start a business together, they will get highlighted. Um, but on the flip side, going through something like starting a business together with all the kind of ups and the downs, it can be incredibly rewarding doing it with someone that you're in a relationship with um so I don't know if I'd recommend it to everyone but I think in the right situation with the right person it's there's nothing better um and and we're still figuring out exactly how we navigate that space I I think I think Meg's grounds me a lot then maybe I would kind of I would burn out if it wasn't for having her in it so um we'll see where it goes
0: marriage and kids will be a doddle after this
1: yeah yeah possibly
0: <laughs> all right awesome vince really appreciate that so um i don't want to take any more of your time i know you're a busy man no thanks you. Um, that's,
1: that's great we
0: yeah. really really enjoyed speaking to you getting to know you properly and a bit more about who um so one final plug from your side so if um anybody's listening that wants to or that should buy one of your coffee cups i should say or uh they want to follow you or get in touch how would how would they do that
1: Really the kind of most interactive and best place for us is on Instagram. From there you can access our website. We're pretty much we are Hunu. So W-E-A-R-E-H-U-N U on most social media channels. And then that's our website as well, we are Hunu.com. And we have a mailing list there that we're getting better at kind of um updating people with. And and Instagram is where all our news and everything comes out. Um if you want to get hold of me personally, specifically, I know a lot of people reach out about Kickstarter, and things like that. I, I love hearing from people and kind of hear, sharing some of our experience. So feel free to uh, get hold of me. My, my, I'm Vince Dixon on, on um, Instagram and, and kind of, I think, most socials, whatever is useful these days. Um, so feel free to reach out
0: awesome all right yeah and we'll, we'll be sure to include that in uh, any any sort of uh, podcast show notes as well
1: yeah no thank you and it's a great it's a great podcast I love what you're doing with this
0: thanks a lot well yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get a beer in soon Yeah. yeah if you're still with me thanks for taking the time to listen to the Purpose podcast I hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting If you did and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd massively appreciate if you could take a minute to leave us a positive review. And if there's a friend or family member that might enjoy or benefit from listening to this, please share a link with them on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're curious to learn more about our eco-conscious travel goods, give us a follow on Instagram, which is at 195, or head to 195.com where you can also get 10% off your first purchase when you sign up to our newsletter. And for each weekly podcast, you'll also find a blog post with some highlights and learnings from the episode, along with a full written transcript. Thanks again. We'll speak soon.